Field and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Caleb Herring is in. He is the company. Ari's here. He's steering the ship. Reno is on board. ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield. What do you got going on this weekend? What are you doing tomorrow? Oh. Want to meet up for some lunch? I hope I'm not doing anything important. Yeah, we can meet up for lunch. Let's Let's do do it. (laughs) I'm kind of roping in here because I'm going to be at Stefano's Greek and Mediterranean Grill, 25th anniversary here in Las Vegas. We're going to have a bunch of the Lotus Broadcasting uh, personalities out there, I being uh, the one with the least personality. Uh, The point will start out in the morning from 11 to 1. That's uh, Chris Fox from Fox and McKenzie. This is the location on Blue Diamond by Decatur. I'll be there from 1 to 3, and then Steph McKenzie is going to be there from 3 to 5. But what they're doing is uh, 2 euros for 5 bucks. That's a special all day long for their 25th anniversary. We'll be at the Blue Diamond location, but you can get that at each of their locations. you got the Southeastern location and also Fort Apache, 2 for 5. I mean, their menu is just outrageous. I love Mediterranean food. I love right. Greek food. So show and- up, sign up for prizes. We're good to go. Stefano's Greek and Mediterranean Grill. It's on Blue Diamond, 59 or fifty ninety five, uh, blue diamond. I think I might have just canceled whatever plans I had for tomorrow. Was oh, that right? I think I might. Have, the wife's just going to be sad this weekend. Oh, Maybe really? I'll just tell her, "Hey, you want to come with?" Well, I was already told by the uh, the SO, the significant other, you better bring some food home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's either I'm going or you're bringing food home. So I I could definitely do that. I can tell her, "Hey, dinner's on me." Uh, you know, I I definitely reheat some of this food. This this looks phenomenal. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at Four. Number Four. Now, if I were approaching being a billionaire, which I'm not, I would treat everyone. Hey, everyone, come out. Cofield's treating. Dump that. Dump, 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 dump. Um, but I'm not. Right? Shaq is. <laughs> LeBron is right there. I want to talk about LeBron in a second. Did you see what Shaq did this week? And I guess he does this on the regular um, in different places. He showed up at uh, an east side of town Home Depot and saw a couple of women, and he's like, uh, you know what? I'm going to buy your washer and dryer that you're getting. Yeah. And they went crazy. Yeah. I, I, so I saw this. I've seen – or I haven't seen other clips of it. I've heard that he does this randomly. Like going to Walmart, he'll just buy, like, everybody's bike for whatever reason, just out of the kindness of his heart. And it's like you think about it, it's like – well, he is that rich where you just kind of have kindness of your heart money, where it's just like I can blow awesome. however much it costs to buy somebody a wash and dryer. They're not inexpensive, let's say. Like if you've bought a wash and dryer in recent years, that's a pretty penny. When's the last time you looked? Because I haven't looked Four in a while. Four years ago is the last time I looked. I probably looked seven years ago, and I don't know. I, I, I'm generally going to go for like slightly above basic. Yeah. I have no idea because I was thinking with the ladies. When they walk back, they're like, okay, that one I picked, that <laughs> pair, or this one that's $7,000 for the yeah, pair. Yeah, because I'm definitely up in the price, right? Like, what I would have <laughs> bought for myself compared to what Shaq's going to buy for me? Come on. <laughs> of course I'm going for the gusto, right? I heard now that they have a washer and dryer that does both. Like, it washes what? and dries in the same machine. I've heard this. So you would get this, that and then another one. After, I would get I would two. Have, would, you yeah. promised me two things. You have kids. Yes, I have kids. I could have one going here. It's like my laundry. Would, I'd be ahead on laundry. I don't know the last time I've been ahead of laundry. Yeah. But if Shaq's buying, I'm getting ahead on laundry for sure. Wow. Nice treat. Nice treat. I had asked uh, one of the company members early in the week, when the NBA team does come here, the expansion team, and they're looking for a former player, owner, 
Would you prefer Shaq over LeBron? Yes. Really? I am a... a li- well, they're both Lakers. A current both- Laker over... Shaq is a real Laker, first of all. Ooh. Let's let's right. get let's make that clear. LeBron is a is a an adopted Laker. He's still I'll not a real that. Laker. You got no, your title? No, the bubble has an asterisk next to it. I'm one of oh, those wow. people. I'm sorry. Uh, he didn't win it in L. A. <laughs> and on top of that, there was no parade. As, as far as like the social distance error of the the bubble and and COVID and what it did, the the the, the parade enshrines you in Laker history. There's been some magical moments, right. and Mark Madsen's one of them in the parade. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So you, you have to have Put the parade. <laughs> Put up the four. Shaq's rap. At the, there's, there's things that Shaq has done for the city of Los Angeles that LeBron has not yet done. He's an Ohioan, or Cle- what, what is it called when you're from Cleveland? Is there a name for that? Clevelander. Clevelander. I'll take that. So that's LeBron. Acrononian. Yeah. <laughs> I made that one up. I that one. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I would, I would much rather take Shaq. Not just that. He's a larger-than-life personality, and he has business savvy. As much as he jokes around, he's involved in so much business um, outside of what we see on television. He knows what he's doing to some degree. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna bring money, he's gonna bring eyes to whatever franchise he's in charge of. So I'd I'd take Shaq over LeBron if that was a choice. Number three. Boy, I wonder if I'm gonna consider Aaron Rodgers a real Jet like ten years from now. Hopefully, he gives them two years. They can make the playoffs in each year. But I think he wants more than that. Now, that said, we're going to play some audio here. I don't know uh, how much of right mind he was. He was at some sort of conference, and he was discussing psychedelics. He's trying to be part of the push to make psychedelics legal. He had the uh, ayahuasca stuff, that whole experience. So he's in front of this audience, and he sounds a little baked to me. But, hey, you know what? Uh, He goes Joe Namath-esque here with some big guarantees. So all these bums who want to, you know, come after me online about my experience and stuff. They've never tried it. They're the perfect people for it. We need to get these people taking it. You know, it's going to be hard to cancel me. You know, the previous year, 26 touchdowns, four interceptions. We had a good season. Ayahuasca, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. MVP. What are you going to say? Wow, 48 and five and an MVP. Go Jets! (laughs) Boy, he didn't sound affected by uh, any sort of... Of course not. Narcotic, did he? No, I think he he was he was the poster child for why psychedelics will be okay. We'll be fine. If that, if that's all you're gonna get from psychedelics being legal, that's hilarious. Well, go I ahead. Th- have I actually it. think that's the argument. Yeah. I mean, if we want to go back to the most basic thing <laughs> with, with weed and yeah. the decriminalization of weed, like people kind of just chill out now and I, you just say stupid stuff. Yeah, I will say there's a counter argument. There's a strong counter argument. I think we all need to have a clear mind. Uh, in these trying yeah, times, yeah. I think uh, as a, I was going to say, as a member of law enforcement, maybe the psychedelics <laughs> yeah. part is not the greatest thing. Right, to be, I would uh, to I would hate behind. to be trying to get somebody's name and ID uh, while they're in that state of mind. Let's just leave it at that. But no, I I will say this: Aaron Rodgers has been my favorite player since he came into the NFL. Um, really? Yeah, and that that was that's kind of why I became a Packers fan. If nobody knew that, I'm a Packers fan, unofficially a cheesehead. But now that Aaron Rodgers is a Jet, I think I'm honorary. Jets, yeah. Fan. So All I'll right. take it. I will be tuned into the Jets way more than normal. Uh-huh. So I, I would contend that if he wins the Super Bowl, he is a Jet, like officially, like one year, one and done as a Jet. He's in the Ring of Honor immediately as a Jet if he wins the Super Bowl. Uh, and that's a little different from LeBron and the Lakers because I think the Lakers have a more established history of winning uh, championship trophies. It's been a long time since the Jets won, and if he's able to bring the Lombardi back to New York for the first time in what forty years, I think it's been. I don't know. You got to correct me on that if, so, I, if I'm it's wrong. It's over 50. It's over 50? Yeah, if he brings a, a Lombardi back to New York, 
like that to the Jets, New York, not Giants, New York. But if he brings it to the Jets, New York, I think he's a Jet officially. You got to adopt him into the family. Number two. I will have no further comment. It's too far out from the football season. And uh, if you don't come and get some Greek food, then you are invited to a Sunday with myself and the SO. And boy, oh boy, you will be miserable. Because <laughs> we are, if the Jets have something to play for and she's a Chargers fan, oh. you want to talk about a table that gets like down in the dumps and intense and is like shutting everyone out like, shut up. <laughs> it's that table. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of fun, I guess. No, that sounds great. It's intensity. I'm all in for that. It's intensity. Uh, we have a little intensity going on right now with Travis Kelsey in the offseason. Is he mad at Jamar Chase of the Bengals? I would say motivated by. Okay. Uh, some people might take it as anger, but the Chiefs have a way of flipping their anger into motivation and just winning Super Bowls because of bulletin board material that they're provided by other people. In this case, it's a potential rival. In the Bengals, I would say it's a rivalry. It's officially. I mean, it's a team I think that gives the Chiefs the most trouble the last couple of years. Absolutely, 100%. So, Jamar Chase, if you're not familiar, tweeted out or commented after uh, Joe Burrow made a mention that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, um, humbly uh, saying that in his field of competition, Patrick Mahomes is the best. Jamar Chase didn't like it. He came at, uh, as his response, and said, Pat who? Ooh. So Pat, who was the response? Travis Kelsey, of course, the tight end for Patrick Mahomes, obviously going to back his guy. Here's these comments and goes on his podcast with his brother, which is great, by the way. If you're not subscribed on YouTube, it's a good listen. They're great together. Um, But he took offense with those words. He said, hey, that's kind of disrespectful. Two rings, Patrick Mahomes. Two-time MVP, Patrick Mahomes. 45 touchdowns last year, Patrick Mahomes. Just won a Super Bowl. Beat you. In the playoffs, that guy, that's who, that's who we're talking about. Put some respect on his name. So, a little bulletin board material for the Chiefs, and and they're yeah. faithful. Um, I'm excited to see a rematch again of the AFC Championship game, potentially between those two teams. I'm excited about it. I think we can officially call it a rivalry. Two top quarterbacks, targets, receivers, Jamar Chase, Travis Kelsey going to bat for their guys. I'm excited about it. I like uh, this kind of thing in sports. On the bulletin board stuff, the Chiefs are incredibly arrogant. Yeah. Um, and if you get video on the field, you can see they're ridiculously arrogant, right? Kelsey celebrates like a maniac. You know that you should be all over this one. Uh, July 12th, Netflix has a documentary with Mahomes in it, with Kirk Cousins, with uh, Marcus Mariota mm-hmm. called Quarterback. And the trailer I saw, boy, Patrick Mahomes on the field talks a lot. Yeah. So for Kelsey, I don't, I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. Like show some respect or what? We're going to fight? Right. Or what? Joe Burrow's going to go over the top multiple times on your uh, your back end. Not his actual back end. The back end of the defense. I uh, This is one of those where, like, the the guy getting the return. Yeah. You know, stop disrespecting. Like, okay, let's go, brother. And to me, it's like, it's always hard when you talk trash to a guy that you never actually play against. Yeah. And this is why I always say, like, like when, when everybody says this quarterback versus this quarterback, they're never on the field at the same time. So there's never an opportunity to, to back it up, to, to say, or else to the guy that you're you're actually talking trash to in this instance. If Travis Kelsey, let's say, played corner for for the Chiefs, that would make this so much more juicy. And that's why it was so juicy when Dion used to go at people. He would talk to the receivers and to the quarterbacks, like, hey, you're not throwing my way. So for these two offensive players who are never actually going to line it up one-on-one in a game setting, it's kind of empty trash talk. But I like the fact that these two teams are now going to be motivated to rip each other's head off come the fall. Number one. Many big deals around the NBA. I know the one you wanted to concentrate on, and we'll talk more about this. With uh, We're going to try to track down uh, former NBA player Ryan Hollins, 
He's been an analyst for a long time. He's now the uh, color voice of the Rockets. How big was the Celtics move for Kristaps Porzingis? A lot of people think, hey, what was the whole point? I mean, it's a different position, but is Porzingis going to be more valuable than Marcus Smart, who you sent out? And I think it doesn't answer the biggest issue with the Celtics that has kept them the last two seasons from actually hoisting the trophy at the end of it. They don't have an on-court general. They don't have a guy when things get tight, when things get contentious in the second half, that's going to settle it down and run some offense. They don't have a real point guard. Marcus Smart, as much as he brought to the table, was not that. He actually contributed to the fire of uh, the hailstorm of bad shots that they took down the stretch in good games. So getting Chris Porzingis doesn't necessarily solve that issue. He's a talented guy with potential who maybe hasn't lived up to the unicorn status that he was drafted under, but he has potential to help them. But they still need a point guard. They need a coach on the floor to help steer the ship in crunch time. We'll see if they can find one. But right now, Malcolm Brogdon, is he still going to step into a starting role and be that guy for the starting unit? I don't know. I don't see it. So right now, I think the Celtics are going to be more of what they've been for the past few seasons, which is a, a very heavily favored contender that doesn't get it done when it matters. Right now, they are the favorite in the East. The odds are, let's see, from six on down, Knicks 14-1. to one. Cavs nine to one, Heat five fifty. I think the Heat can move up. I think mm-hmm. they've got some moves in them. Uh, Sixers five to one, Bucks two fifty, and the Celtics are plus two ten. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Justin Watkins, Matt Hoffman. Call from anywhere in the state 766-1400. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, rolling towards the halfway point of the show. We are in Reno and Vegas. Caleb Herring, the former UNLV quarterback, is here with us. The company, it's Cofield. Ari's here as well. All right, NBA draft goes down last night. It's a very different draft than it was, say, uh, in my uh, younger days when I was watching drafts at, like, you know, 13, 14, and, like, 83. It changed. But it's still entertaining, and there's still great prospects all over the place, but it's a different process. So uh, on the phone right now to diagnose what happened yesterday is Ryan Hollins, former NBA player, 10 years in the league with a bunch of teams and now working uh, doing Rockets color and analyst work really everywhere and for everyone. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. How you been? We're good. We're fired up about last night. And uh, the first thing we want is, uh, boy, you are tall. This is a terrible transition, but my God, how can a guy who's 7'5 Wemby – be a, a dude with three skills. This is nuts. Yeah, man. He, he, he's arguably uh, the most intriguing prospect we've ever seen uh, in, in big history. Uh, I, I mean, it's like a video game. You said, hey, uh, you know, how do you want to make your player? Let's make him tall. Let's make him be able to dribble, able to shoot. You know, he, he's got all those uh, intangibles. Obviously, we got to see him play ball. We got to see how he adapts uh, to the NBA competition, but at least for the eye test, like what you want to see, uh, this kid's got it all. And it may take time before he turns into what he needs to be ultimately on the long run, but, man, there, there's definitely a lot there with Victor Wimbledon. I'm going to say that maybe there's an argument for the greatest prospect of all time, the best prospect of all time. Uh, I would argue that maybe LeBron was the most ready for the NBA of the prospects that we've seen, especially in recent history, because he hit the ground in the NBA and kind of took it by storm right away. Do you see that being the case for Wimby, or is there still some things in his game or in his physical development that he needs to work on before he has that kind of major instant impact? Well, I mean, I think the key that you said was prospect. 
So I think that's a very valid point. A prospect doesn't mean you're a Hall of Famer, you're a world champ. That doesn't mean you've done anything yet. So um, I think that would be a fair analysis. LeBron James is in seven for four, <laughs> you know. Um, so that, that, that's definitely fair. Um, in terms of LeBron, you know, we all felt, I remember LeBron as a young guy, and the word was going around that there's a kid that's 16 years old that can be the number one pick in the NBA draft. He could be the best player in the NBA right now. And that, that news around the NBA community was swirling. And all the hype, all the word, LeBron lived up to it. Um, but I think for LeBron, it's not just his size, it's his ability to play make. LeBron's a legitimate point guard. You know, he goes out and, 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 and gets you 10, 15, and 6 every night. And, and you know, the, the basketball is at the end of the day. It's in his hands. That's the appeal with LeBron James. Um, I think with Victor, it's just his ability to dribble the basketball. So we're going to say, hey, he's not going to turn into effectiveness at the NBA level. Is he just going to have to be more of a shot blocker, more of a spot-up shooter? You know, is he going to be able to shoot those one-legged threes? But his ability to move is, is, is ridiculous. I mean, he's getting around guards with his type of quickness and athleticism. So I think, man, it, it, it's going to be honestly beyond fun to watch to see what he is able to do and what, we, you know, what he can uh, turn into at the end of the day. You mentioned that as a prospect, it's very different between what you are projected to do and, and what you actually accomplish in your career. Are we, and by we I mean everyone who's 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 out here looking at the Wimby hype, are we setting him up for sort of failure here with the amount of hype that he's getting as a, a, a generational talent, somebody's going to change the game forever, something we've never seen before. If he doesn't achieve what we project, can he still have a successful career? Is it is it like he's doomed to have a, a bust type of career? I know some some swirlings have already been mentioned that if he doesn't live up to the hype, it's considered a bust. What do you say about that? Well, for one, um, he's going to get paid. He's probably going to gross a billion dollars, even if he's just an okay player. So I, I don't think anyone who does that is a bust. Kwame Brown was a heck of a basketball player. If you go check before Kwame pulled his hamstring, he was playing good basketball with the Golden State Warriors. And if he didn't do that, he'd probably still be playing basketball right now. Any any serviceable player, I would never qualify as a bust. But in all reality, yeah, the pressure's going to be on. We're going to be talking about how good he is or isn't is or isn't. You know, that's just going to be part of part of it. But um, I, don't, I don't think they're going to be calling this kid a bust. I don't think that. But are we going to overanalyze everything he does? Yes. When you're putting that type of spotlight, you're drafted number one, that's just part of the territory. And not just drafted number one, you know, he's got, I mean, the name behind it. But I think at the end of the day, that's what this kid is asking for. So, you know, it just comes with the business. You know, he should have went to another sport. He should have not tried to be as, as talented as he is. But that's not something that he wanted. Moving down into the draft a little bit deeper, not very far, but Scoot Henderson, another big name um, from the States, a highly anticipated prospect, gets paired up with Dame. How do you see that combination working? Or is this maybe the beginning of the end of Lillard's time in Portland? Is that maybe an indication of that with the drafting of Scoot Henderson? Well, here's the thing. Dame is so talented that he can play along with Scoot. Scoot physically can defend, um, you know, probably one, two, or three right now, fresh out the gate. Um, so I think you have options for those two to play together. But I think ultimately for Scoot to go in and be the player that he's anticipated to be, and I think that was probably the shocker of the draft. Not just uh, you know Cam Whitmore dropping, and thank God he ended up in Houston, which is really cool. But I think at the end of the day, um, you are going to let you know have to have him move on and 
you know, maybe for, for Dame's sake or, or, or Scoot's sake, he can learn from him. We have like an Aaron Rodgers-like situation with Brett Favre. That would be ultimately, if I employment, I'm begging Dame to say, mentor this kid. Give him one, two years of, of, of mentorship and, you know, let's, let's figure out, you know, what he can end up being. But please, Dame, just stay. So I think it's a, a, a incredibly intriguing situation. But I think within that drafting, uh, you open the door and you allow Dame to say, hey, man, you, you want to get out of here, you want to take off, you, you, you're, you're free to do so. I think for, uh, for Portland, you get some insurance there and you get something that your fan base can, uh, you know, can get behind. Ryan Hollins is with Cofield and Company on ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. Is there, I mean, you're close to these guys around the league. You hear the chatter. Is there a day where Dame is going to wake up, Lillard's going to wake up and just go, you know what, it's time to go get a ring. I need to join forces with a, a better team. My understanding is, you know, I've never heard him talk about trades like this before or, or moving on before. I've never heard Damian talk about this. I think I think he's at that point. I think just whatever happens needs to make sense. I don't want to speak for himself or the Portland Trailblazers, but I think he's there. I think the whole basketball world, you know, understands what, you know, we, we like to ultimately at the end of the day see from him. And I think that's him competing and not wasting his prime years at Portland. But if Portland is able to make some moves and, um, able to build around him, man. I, I, I think Damian Lillard is fighting to stay there, but I think we all understand it just may not make sense at the end of the day. So you mentioned Whitmore and the Rockets. Talk about the Rockets Hall and what do you think of the top selection? Man, I'm, I'm ecstatic for what the Rockets were able to do. Um, you know, unfortunately, falling out of the top three, but you get Amon Thompson and um, the kid at box office. He's big, he's strong, he's athletic. Um, he's going to have to develop his guy, game. But with guys with that type of size and ability to play make, I, I think you'll be, uh, you know, pleasantly surprised. You take your, your chance on that, on those type of guys. And I think, you know, outside of Victor Wendenyama, he may have the most potential in this draft to just really become special. So um, I'm actually really, really excited to see what he could go and he could turn out uh, and, and be. And I think that's something that we're all, you know, we're all going to be buzzing and anticipating and, and, and looking for. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Thompson is bigger. And you get Cam Whitmore, who ends up dropping. And, and some were talking about this kid was, you know, going to be a, a top pick. They were, they were playing Cam Whitmore uh, was like a, like a top five high lottery pick, and he ends up dropping. And I think you got to look at the Rockets. They're not talking about what's going on with the, what's wrong with the Rockets. They got to still the draft Alphonse Shingun, who guys are still buzzing and talking about. Kevin Durant said he loved to watch Alphonse Shingun play. Uh, you got Tari Eason last year. So with these late first-round picks, I mean, the front office from Houston just slam dunking those guys home, and they are just winning at the end of the day. And you always value the pick. You know, if, if you guys want to use this to know, you, your value in the NBA is when teams are calling and want to trade for you and want you to be on their team and asking about you and inquiring. That's you know when you know a player's value and the phone is ringing off the hook for some of these young Rockets players because they know the value uh, that they have. So I think I'm, I'm ecstatic for the city and what you have going on there in Houston. Ryan, we got a minute left. And, you know, we previewed this draft a couple of days ago, and I was like, man, after Webanyama, I feel like the entire league is just like small forward, two guard, three and D. That's all we're interested in. One, because Webanyama is not a center, one center got picked in the first round. I mean, this is incredible, the transition this league has made. And yet we just saw a team built around a center win the championship. So where are we right now for the the big man in the NBA when it comes to building a squad? 
I think the digging's coming back, but I think it's going to be a matter of skill. So, you know, you, you can't just be a plotting big man anymore. The skill has to be there. And I think those guys are going to be the guys getting drafted. And I think Wimby, Wimby technically is not even a center. You know, he's probably going to play four there um, in, in San Antonio. So I think that's something that we'll, we'll see moving forward. But I, I, I completely agree with you. I think teams are going to trend back towards not just centers, but the really skilled guys, the guys that are the, you know, seven-foot point guards, six-eleven-point guards, and I think putting the ball in the big guy's hand uh, is going to start to come back around. But I think it just took a while for the game to evolve. Look, man, when I played, if I took a any shot outside of a certain amount of feet, I, I, I would do that. Honestly, I've had coaches grab me. Yeah. And say, don't you ever take that shot again. Don't work <laughs> on the shot. You're never going to shoot in the game. You know what I'm saying? I'm, and I'm guys with no disrespect. I'm here doing radio with you rather than playing in the NBA. You know? So um, I, I, think, I think that that will trend back toward the game because these younger guys are getting more and more skilled. I think we'll see it come back. Ryan, you're awesome, man. We always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Uh, anytime, guys. You too. There is the uh, former NBA player, uh, 10 years in the league, lots of teams. And he was, you know, a true big guy, more of a defensive big guy, wasn't, you know, uh, stretching out to three. I don't know. He said it's going to start trending back that way. I, is it? The, the, the whole draft yesterday was 6'4 to 6'8 guys who can play a little bit in and out and shoot the three and defend at a high level. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. So I love that discussion that we had with Ryan Hollins, especially at the end about the role of the big man now. Uh, Derek Lively, who played at Duke for a year, is a you know seven foot two thirty five big who can rim protect but also stretch and shoot the three ball. He didn't show it a lot at Duke. Mm-hmm. That's a new. It's not going to be every big man. There's still a spot for the power big man who defends and intimidates and rim protects. But to get major minutes on the floor, I'm not saying that Lively is Jokic, but that's the model now, right? He's a guy who can do a little everything. Yeah. But I think it's going to take, I think it's going to take a while for us to catch up in the U.S. I think there's big men who are already doing it. But I'll go back to the the issue we talked about at the beginning of the show about how the draft has changed. And I also believe that there's going to be basketball academies at some point, and these college coaches are never going to get their hands on elite prospects, and especially a lot of the big guys because they're going to be trained to play like this. Mm-hmm. Because when you go to college, guess what? Most co- guess what? A lot of co- college coaches want out of. Uh, Coaches want out of their big men. Rebounds in post game. Yep. Zach Eady is the I player was just of the year. Say. Yep. But he he may be so big that he just can't do that stuff. Right. But Ryan Holland just said it. When he played, yeah, you know, he shoots an eighteen footer, the coach is screaming at him and putting him on the bench. And there's a lot of college coaches who are like, No, 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 no. I don't want I didn't I didn't recruit you to be a stretch five. Get right. underneath the basket, rebound, make layups. So there's a difference right now. Now there are college coaches who are going with that. But there's a lot of college coaches who are like, hey, I already, I'm, this is the way I play, man. I play with a true 4-5, mm-hmm. and the 5 better be freaking under the basket. It's a formula that can work. I mean, Purdue probably is regular season was, was an example of how it could work. Like you said, player of the year. But it got to the, to the postseason, to the tournament, and it obviously back, you know, things didn't work out their way. Well, because, because they the went against a super up. small team that exactly. was making shots. And that and was they the could, argument and they for small make ball. anything. Right. That was the argument for small ball. Like small ball guys everywhere were like, see – all you got to do is speed up the game, and these big guys are, are ancient. They, they can't stay on the court. It's like there's a lot else that goes into it as well. But you also look at the, the downside of, I guess, the small ball mentality that's going on. Guys don't know how to play with their back to the basket 
or they get completely dominated when there is a real post presence. The Joker had his way with the NBA with his back to the basket mm-hmm. during the playoffs. Nobody, including Anthony Davis, had an answer for him on the one-on-one. Whether he was making a play for somebody else or just going to the basket himself, back to the basket game is kind of ancient at this point. Like Nobody posts up anymore, a true post player. And you see when guys do it, it turns into a nightmare for defenses because you just don't play for that skill set anymore, defensively or offensively. So I think there will be an evolutionary switch back to the big men. The two best big men in the NBA right now, Joel Embiid and the Joker, are two guys that are still very skilled basketball players. Like They're just not in the paint, uh, drop-step dunk guys. They're, they actually can step out, make plays, pass the ball, dribble, handle a little bit. So you will have to have some skill to be a big man. Mm-hmm. But I think the value of having somebody who's just a dominant physical mismatch is, I think, being undervalued right now. I think there will be a switch back to the return of the big man. Um, I don't it's going to be this an athletic big it. man who, who can play defense. Maybe he can't score right away or shoot threes, but um, I think the teams to beat going into next year are led by Giannis and Jokic, and you have to have people, multiple guys who can defend them. I, I, I would agree with that. I think the, the Bucks this past year were the biggest surprise of the postseason with that early exit. Um, where do you think a team, and this is just a projected lineup, like the Warriors – who may be fully committed to small ball going this next season, but with a high basketball IQ if Draymond decides to stay. With that starting five potentially, what could they do if there are no big men? I don't see them making anything happen if the Joker is a contender next year, but that's an interesting small ball lineup. Yep. I have no idea what they're going to do because I don't know if Chris Paul is being brought in as a 25-minute-per-night guy in relief because I'm not sure that Clay Thompson is more than a 25-minute-per-night guy. Mm. Um, so I, th- I think there's still plenty of room for them to get – some stretch bigs, but real bigs. Uh, yeah. And they move away from Draymond, who, you know, just at 6'7 with diminishing skills, and he's not always healthy, and he kind of plays stupid at times. Uh, a brilliant guy, but he makes some really bad mistakes on offense. I think they will work their hardest to try to get a couple of, you know, true 6'9, some more loonies, but a little more skilled. Right. Like, I don't think they're going to go in with mini ball next year. It, it can't. And I think you, you, the, I, everything looking is at the West, goals, it can't. You, you have to design your team to be able to beat the best team in your conference. Not go full bore, but you got to be able to do it. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. All right, let's check in on the Raiders. We haven't talked to Vic Tafer in a while. Vic, not on vacation. Vic, what the hell are you doing? This is the period of time, like these four weeks before the nitty-gritty begins. What are you doing, man? Uh, you know what? I'm going on vacation next week. There you so go. I'll, I'll, I'll be true to your, your plan and I'll, I'll be out there. Get it together. Where are you going? Uh, Network special. We're going to uh, San Diego for a while. Nice. Nice. What's your favorite thing? I'm really probing here on the vacation. Uh, <laughs> what's your favorite thing to do in San Diego? Uh, eat fish tacos and drink beers on the beach. I, kn- I knew something like that would be the answer. You know why? Uh, maybe not fish tacos for me, but that's my favorite stuff to do is just go. And chill. I don't need to go watch whales or seals or you know <laughs> Balboa Park and look at you know the old architecture. I'm like I am chilling and eating and drinking. That's a vacation. I tell you what, though, if I'm eating my fish taco, drinking a beer, I wouldn't mind a whale show. If there's a whale show in the ocean, yeah. that might be the perfect uh, perfect trifecta, maybe. Good deal. Vic is with us. Vic Tafer, Caleb Herring's here, former UNLV football player. It's Cofield. All right, so we got a lot to talk about. On the uh, serious side with Josh Jacobs, this this follow up I guess is kind of serious because it went up breaking up this combo and they they're gone from the team. 
Uh, the other day, Derek Carr sends out a picture of Darren Waller, and, and uh, it's Derek Carr's leg. And I don't know if you saw this, but they appear to have been working out at a park uh, somewhere in Vegas. And I get a response from a listener, and he's like, well, I, I, you, you know, you guys keep talking about how Waller and Carr don't like each other and, you know, Carr and the Colts game and throwing Waller under the bus. Your best recollection of what went down uh, the day of the Colts game and the next day and moving forward with Carr and Waller. A lot of people found that picture yesterday or two days ago pretty interesting. Yeah, Carr's a clever little troll, isn't he? He knows what he's doing on that social media. Um, that can cause, him, <laughs> cause trouble. But uh, and no one ever really knew if it was Darren Waller who was talking about it. I think it's more a collective uh, kind of uh, young players, old players thing. I guess his frustration. I knew at that point he probably realized it wasn't going to be the way he wanted it to be with him and Devontae in the new system, and it wasn't working out. They lost. They blew so many leads last year. I just think he kind of got frustrated. And I, I know there were some problems with Darren and the new regime, but I'm not really sure ever was with Derek. I just think people kind of jumped to conclusions. Right. And obviously it wasn't working out the way they wanted it to, but clearly that photo shows they're, you know, they're still friends. They still can play catch and have fun in the sun. Okay. And that Derek thinks about stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Derek knows what he's doing. He says he doesn't read the people or doesn't follow things, but he's all over social media and reads everything that people write. And it's, uh, it's kind of bizarre. He should be, you know, on New Orleans doing his own thing and not really worried about the past, but, that photo kind of speaks volumes. So, speaking of social media and the use of it, uh, clever use by Josh Jacobs with the simple two words, bad business. Um, what's he referencing, and why would social media be used to reference it? Exactly. He's also a clever guy. I mean, obviously, he's not happy with the way things are going down. He wants, like Saquon Barkley, he wants his you know, big deal. He earned it. He definitely was a league in rushing last year. He definitely earned all the money that's coming to him, but it's just not the way the NFL works. You know, running backs don't get that kind of long-term deals that, that these guys want. So it may have been about negotiations. It may not have been. It may have been. I uh, got some bad service and some food. Who knows? But he knows what he was doing, and people reacted to it, and people I think, wrote stories about it, and, oh, my God. But, he, I mean, he's not in the, the answer to it. So I just think it's uh, one of those things where I'll have to guess what it means. And But clearly, uh, there's no deal done yet. He wants a deal. doesn't make a lot of sense for the Raiders to give him a long-term deal at this point, I don't think. So uh, I think he'll have to play under, under the franchise tag. Vic Tafer's with us from The Athletic, Raiders expert. Caleb's here. It's Cofield. I had one more thing on Carr, and then we can definitely follow up on Jacobs. What did you think of Carr sort of apologizing for last year, not giving his full self, he said? I, I thought the apology was unnecessary. Did, did Raider Nation need that? Did Mark Davis need that? What do you think of him apologizing? I, again, I don't think it meant anything. I just think he's, he kind of gets in his way of his words sometimes. I think he's trying to be like, you know, like, it's all on me, all that stuff he used to always say. But, again, I, I think people are okay with, you know, whatever happened just didn't work out. He and Josh McDowell didn't see eye to eye as far as the scheme went. Things didn't go that well, and they didn't want him back, and he went somewhere and got a good deal. I just don't know why he has a need to kind of uh, always, like, kind of fall on the sword when the sword's already been put away. The sword's gone. I mean, everyone, people have moved on. They want to kind of see what happens next in life after Derek Carr, but um, again, he likes to bring it up. And yeah. It's just it's a weird it's a weird deal. I wonder if he's disappointed that people have moved on. There was a little bit of a hubbub in Raider Nation for like a day that uh, AOC got number four almost immediately, and I, my guess is that Derek Carr for a second was, was, he probably was annoyed by that. I'm sure he was, but again, who cares? I mean, I know. If the guy, the guy, the number of the guy wanted was taken, O'Connell, so give him something else. And Derek Carr, I mean, again, all-time franchise leader, had not, he did, a, did his part, he tried his best, but yep. 
not a legend, not a reader. You can't like, say, oh no, you can't number four. That's that's off limits because this guy got to the playoffs once in nine years. So again, fans get crazy about stupid stuff, and that was a, another example. Well. You know, Raider Nation I found to be really interesting because I didn't know a whole lot about it. You've covered it, you know, for a long time, and I was kind of new to it here in Vegas up close. There's different factions because there are factions that go freaking crazy over the off the field and social media stuff. And I'm sure you hear the other side, too, where you report on the stuff, and then part of Raider Nation is like, who cares? You guys are always stirring up drama, and we just want to know about it on the field. Like, there is a fan, there's a portion of the fan base that loves the drama. I'm going to report on it. Oh, for sure. And then sometimes the fans go waffle back and forth between the two stances. And then half the fans love car, half of them hate car. So it's, <laughs> there's so many different kind of subsets to it. It just, uh, like you said, I've been around it for a while since I kind of like my, my crazy uncle, so I kind of love them. But they're nuts. There's no, there's no question about it. I mean, Devontae stuff in that interview with The Ringer, which, God, I wish we had gotten the audio of it. Um, the front end of it where, I mean, there were some pretty potentially explosive comments about not getting along with the organization, not agreeing with the offseason, and then – and then coming out in a press conference and saying it was taken out of context, and for you know for you, it's like well I I, I don't know if it was or not, um, but you you said what you said. I mean Devontae had to mean something. What do what do you think he meant by hey we don't see eye to eye right now or we didn't? Yeah, I think he was frustrated. You have to be frustrated if you're here for him. You come here and you're talking about Super Bowl and the big plans, and now you're kind of in looks like kind of a rebuild mode. You didn't really attack the off season. You kind of uh, took a step back, and I think people also have to remember. He made those comments to the ringer. At that point, Jimmy G was not out there. He was on the, we, we didn't know it. We hadn't reported he was out with a foot injury. So at that point, he knew something we did, and he knew that, you know, I'm not looking at my quarterback. Got nothing's going on here. So clearly frustrated. Mm-hmm. Clearly he said what he said, then heard what he said. I'm sure Joshua Downs said, hey, what, what was that about? And he has to walk it back a little bit. And in this day and age, the best way to walk things back is, ah, the freaking media yeah. took my words out of context. And, but it's hard to take. I don't see eye to eye with the coach out of context, right. <laughs> but again, it's a, it's it's not a big deal. Again, I'm sure it'll pop up again if they have trouble at the start of the season. I'm sure those words will be out there again. But that's right now. Who cares? I mean, we got we got training camp, and we'll see if Jimmy's back uh, by then. I'm glad you said something at the beginning of that because when players get mad at the media or the Raiders themselves get mad at the media, I, I hope everyone just caught what Vic said about. Jimmy G stuff wasn't out there because we hadn't reported it because I had heard about it. Uh, others had heard about Jimmy G wheeling around the facility on a cart. And, uh, you know, everything is not reported instantly uh, as people think, you know, to, to screw over the Raiders. That was actually kept under wraps for a pretty long time. Yeah, we actually sat on it for like four or five days. Even because if we hear things, it doesn't mean I can write it. I still have to, like, get a credible source or two sources to kind of make sure that, you know, it's true because – Things that I'm 95% sure are true, I can't put in print. So you have to be positive, which is why it took us a little while longer to make sure it was, you know, all up and up. But, again, things are out there. And he knew at that point when he said it that Jimmy G was not on the practice field. So definitely it kind of lends more context to what he was saying. is like the frustrations about here, here I am. You know, I came for Derek Carr. Now I got this guy. This guy's not playing. He's hurt again. Well, what, what are we doing? You mentioned uh, in your comments might be more of a rebuild. What are you seeing to suggest that with the Raiders? Well, just the offseason. I think the offseason moves like free agency. Most of them are depth type moves. I mean, there were no real like splash moves. I, I saw them. I mean, they're kind of going with their core. They got Max Crosby and Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs in the franchise tag. That's three top top forty players. But other than that, they're trying to bring in your rookies, young guys, depth guys. So you can't really say that you're making a serious run of the Chiefs. 
this year for the AFC West title. Okay. I've been throwing that out a lot. So is Adam Hill. Like, it's not <laughs> shocking. You know, we were talking about the Broncos the other day because our buddy JT the Brick got annoyed with Colin Cowherd. And Cowherd had said, hey, the Broncos are trending up. And JT had said, well, we say that every year. I mean, this time around, I, I think they are trending up. And I do think the Raiders are going to have a tough time staying out of the cellar. I mean, the biggest thing is, is Jimmy G going to play or not? Is he gonna, are we going to get 13, 14-plus games out of Jimmy G? Or is he going to miss part of training camp at the beginning of the season? Yeah, and if he plays, I mean, is he better than Derek Carr? That's a debate everyone wants to have at some point. But I'm not sure he's better than Derek Carr. I mean, he's probably a better fit in the game system. But talent-wise, I'm not sure he's better. So, again, is the offense uh, going to be better than it was last year when they had some trouble? I mean, the, uh, the offensive line still kind of a question mark. They overachieved last year. But, I mean, can we do that again? So, yeah, there's a lot of question marks. That's why we have training camp to kind of see uh, what, what falls into place. Give me the glass overflowing take on how the defense gets better. Uh, okay, here we go. So Max Crosby and Stud Charlie Jones lost some ways, leaner, meaner. He's going to come back a big way. They got Tyree Wilson. They're going to groom him to be the third musketeer in the pass rush. Constant pressure makes the rest of the defense better. Wow, you thought about you thought about that before. That's pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty good. I mean, there there is upside, and and uh, you know I've thrown it out there that. Hey, you know, these guys are paid to judge personnel, and while a lot of the moves look like depth moves or value moves, um, they have plucked some value players you know, <laughs> over the short regime, and they've turned into productive guys. So you, I guess for now we got to trust Ziegler and McDaniels and what they believe in and what they're spending their money on. I don't, I don't think their philosophy is outside of the D-line to ever spend big money on linebackers and defensive backs. Am I off on that? They just haven't had the right opportunity. What do you think? Look, that's, that's pretty accurate. I think that they definitely feel they're going to get built in the trenches and kind of grow up from, from out from, from within. But uh, if there was like a top-end cornerback, uh, I think they might do that. But there wasn't really anyone this year that they thought they, the timing wasn't right or the right guy wasn't out there. Dick Tafer, the athletic. Raiders writer. Caleb's here. It's Cofield. So I was really probing, really nosy, really pushy about your vacation. <laughs> I'm going to ask about your job again and where you live. You ready? Because I, I think I did see you a couple of years ago. I was like, you're moving to Vegas. Come on now. Um, for the Raiders. Okay, uh, we'll start this with uh, what do you think of the A's getting the deal here? To, uh-oh. What do you think of the A's getting the deal here? Uh, I don't know. I, mean, I feel bad for, for Oakland fans. They're going to lose all three teams. But the A's are kind of a clown organization. They don't have any money, so obviously they need help, and Vegas has land and money. So I'm not sure it's going to go through, but looks like it will. I think um, – yeah, I mean, uh, it's um, these owners definitely weren't going to do anything to stay here. That's been shown. The product in the field is terrible. So uh, I'm sure it'll get better when they get to Vegas. We'll actually add some, some players. So uh, good for Vegas, bad for Oakland. We have an amazing opportunity here to have sort of a stadium district, you know, from the Fortress over to the Tropicana site, short walk down to the, the football stadium. Do you think Mark Davis will ever relent or kind of calm down a little bit on the A's and Fisher and Cavill? No, he hates the A's. I think the whole uh, their ad campaign after the Raiders left was rooted in Oakland, which is uh, not only uh, grossly uh, inaccurate and kind of a, a blatant lot of means to the A's fans, but definitely shot the Raiders. I think he took it that way. And, yeah, I think Mark Davis will never have any, uh, any good thoughts about the A's uh, ever again. All right. Uh, to probe some more, I've heard uh, from sources at the paper, not Adam Hill, uh, that – Boy, they like Vic Tafer as a potential guy who cover the Raiders and much of the A season as a beat writer. Uh, but he's got to move here. Big money, big money, Vic. Come on now, A's Raiders beat. Let's do it. 
I have been commuting back and forth the last, uh, was it three years? Three years, right? The first year was COVID, so I didn't really count, but uh, I have been commuting, and I am going to be uh, no longer commuting this season. I will be there full-time. Ooh, look at this. We can break bread more often. All right. <laughs> All right, Vic, enjoy yourself. Have the fish tacos. Have a couple extra for us. We appreciate the time right. on a Friday. All right, boys. Take care.